Hey everybody, it's your favorite reconstructionist, Eric Brown and Phil Relly, and welcome to episode number 34 of the one and only show bringing you tips and tricks to working vehicle collision cases from the best experts in the industry every Wednesday. Today's topic is, how good is your witness? So hold on tight, here we go. Before I finish this intro, another life will be lost to a vehicle crash, and the $500 billion economic impact of vehicle crashes will only keep growing. Are you an attorney, expert witness, police officer, or insurance adjuster in charge of negotiating, investigating, or litigating vehicle collision cases? If so, then you're in the right place. The Expert Angle podcast was created for you because we believe that the industry must evolve, grow, and get better daily. And the only way to do that is by building the best team of experts possible to ensure that these crashes are handled efficiently, accurately, and honestly in order to get justice for the victims. We're Eric Brown and Phil Relly, and this is The Expert Angle. Welcome back to the show, everyone. This episode of the Expert Angle podcast is brought to you by Virtual Crash Accident Reconstruction Software. If you are tired of having to purchase, upkeep, and run multiple programs during an investigation, Virtual Crash is the cure. With Virtual Crash, you can build 3D environments using your actual scene data. You can simulate, animate, and create awesome visuals. You can also use the new momentum analysis tool for vehicle motion. Basically, Virtual Crash is the complete accident reconstruction software solution. Solution. Visit vcrashusa.com today to download your free trial or schedule a live one-on-one demonstration. All right, Phil. So I have wanted to do this show for quite some time and some of the reports that I've been reading and some of the investigations we've been looking at have made it abundantly clear that next to photographs, this is another section that I think we need to address. And that is the area of witness interviews. What do you think? Absolutely. I've complained about this for years. Right. And, you know, for a, a couple of reasons, um, you know, one, I think there's some misconceptions about what witnesses can tell you and their reliability. And I also think there's some misconceptions about the techniques that the police officers use in conducting the interviews. I'd agree. <laughs> Dynamite commentary there, Donnie. No, <laughs> so, no Here, go ahead. Here's my thing on witness statements. A couple things. One, you can tell when you get a report and you, you know, you, you get your public records request, you get the report and the photographs and witness statements, measurements, blah, 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 blah. And then you start reading the witness statements. Half of them aren't signed. Half of them have, you know, we're going down the road, saw a car hit truck. No question, no follow-up questions asked. Or seen, going down road, seen car hit truck. Yes. You know, I mean, as an investigator, ask questions. Don't just hand a piece of paper to somebody and say, fill it out. First of all, you're assuming that they've done this before. Second of all, they don't know what information you want, need, or, or whatnot. And if you don't take the time to, at least when you get it back, read it and go, okay, I've got some questions for you. I just want to ask to clarify some information or capture some information. But they hand them out and then take them right back and thank you for your time and send them on away and never read them until the witness is gone. They have no phone number, no address, no way of contacting. That person is useless. Yeah. 
now, statement. You know, I mean, and another thing you need to take into consideration too. You know, for for those that are going to live scenes and taking witness statements, be careful about taking witness statements from five people standing in a group talking. Yeah, probably well, get five statements that are about the same. <laughs> yeah, and and we're gonna get there to to that exact point, but you know, just to to keep it simple, I think, and and to get going off the bat. I would say a, a good rule of thumb of things that, that I've been seeing is if you're the investigating officer, you need to interview the witnesses. Mm-hmm. You can't just rely on statements that other officers have compiled. Right. You know, and, and I get it that an officer can testify to hearsay, but man, I mean, by the time this person tells this person or, or this person talks to this person and then they talk to the officer and the officer writes it down and then the officer writes it down and he gives it to you and then you read it and then you make an interpretation of it. And I mean, it's like playing a kindergarten game of telephone. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to do that, if you're going to have other officers take statements for you while you're tasked with doing other things, that's fine. But I think you need to work with your other officers so that they know what information you need Um, or at a bare minimum, get a phone number or an address so that you, the investigating officer, can follow up and do a phone interview. I understand that we're all busy um, and it is what it is, you know, but the the, um, I guess the the quality of your investigation is going to be reflected upon the effort that you put into it. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think to get back to your point, then, you know, I think one of the first things that you have to do when you get on scene of a crash is immediately identify these witnesses and separate them. Absolutely. You know, and have, a, have a seat in your car. And I'll be right back with you. Yeah. You know, and, and at worst case scenario, just to kind of keep them separated, too. I know a lot of officers shy away from this you can always have them sit in the back of your car. Now you can't lock them in the back of the car and walk away from them because you can't detain them, right. you know, but if you have them have a seat in your car, just to, you know, keep them warm, keep them away from everybody. That's fine. Either leave your door open or leave your window rolled down so that you can hear them. If they say, Hey, let me out, you know? Um, Cause like I said, I mean, you can't just lock them in the back. <laughs> You're mine. <laughs> like that can't happen. And think about it from, you know, Again, I'm not picking on officers or anything, but think about it from a court testimony standpoint. Just about every trial, every jury trial I've ever been in, there's always been the attorneys that do the separation of witnesses at trial. Do the same thing at your scene. Separate your witnesses. You know, put put them back in their vehicles if they stuck around or if they're pedestrians that are walking down the street. You know, if nothing else, get an ID them and get a phone number and you can reach out to them later and follow up with them, but do not let witnesses hang out and congregate together. Um, number one, COVID-19, uh, unless you're going to be six feet apart, wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs> but number two, they're just going to pass off information that each one saw. And then the next thing you know, you'll have, you might as well just have one spokesman for the whole group. Yeah. Well, and you know, if you, if you go all the way back, so you got to remember that human memory is a reconstructive process, not a photographic process, right? So meaning your, your memory is not like a, a camcorder just on record. It doesn't record everything, you know, right. it's just taking still shots. Basically it's taking photographs 
You know, it's just all these still shots, all these still shots, all these still shots until you need to recall something. And then your memory starts to fill in the gaps with what it believes the information should be there. Right. So, yeah, it's extremely easy for somebody to get this information wrong, especially if any time has passed between when the crash happened and asking them to recall it. Because now I, I think, you know, everybody gets on Facebook and I don't know how, you know, it is where, where all you guys are at. But I get on Facebook and man, if there's a car crash, everybody posts about it and posts theories. Yeah, it's amazing how many people witness how many people witness crashes. Yeah. Yeah. It can be Los Angeles County, but somehow they witnessed it. Right. Or, you know, the the flip side of that too is I always kind of have to chuckle a little bit because like you'll see a post on Facebook and it'll be like two cars involved in an intersection in Canton. And like all of a sudden people be like, my family lives in Stark County. Do you know what kind of cars they are? Like, okay. Well, first of all, you have like a one in 350,000 chance of that being your family. (laughs) And then they're like prayers. Oh my God. My family lives in the United States. Do you know what kind of cars they're driving? (laughs) So it's so ridiculous. It is. Um, But yeah, you know, I don't know. Just but yeah, statements are, are, are good, I guess. I mean, I've there's been a handful of times where they've been very, very helpful to me. And there's been a handful of times or more handful of times where they haven't been. And the, the, the biggest, I guess, help to me from a witness statement standpoint is the witness of the, of the vehicles involved. Um, bystanders and, and people sitting on porches, it, it's great to get their information just to see maybe they – Maybe they are the needle in the haystack, but that is not very often. Yeah. And, and at least that's been my experience. Yeah, no, I, but, I, I agree. You know, and, most, most times what you, you – 99.9% of the time, people are looking or doing something else at their house, at the shopping center, whatever, at the gas station. So their attention is diverted till something, a sound, a noise, or something gets them to turn their head – and then they look, oh, my gosh. And then, like you said, they start piecing together. Well, that car obviously was coming from that direction. So, oh, my God, they slammed on their brakes. They really don't know. what They didn't really see it. And that's why I always ask. I always ask clarifying questions. Did you actually see it? Or did you right. hear it and then turn and look and saw the aftermath? Well, I turned and looked and saw the aftermath. You're not right. You're a sound witness. That's about it. Right. But for some, your brain plays those games, though. And if you hear it and turn around and see the vehicles going out to, to final rest, your brain will try and piece back together what you think happened, Yeah, you know, but let me throw this out there at you because I've seen this and, and I think this is something that needs to be addressed. So if you're an insurance adjuster or a police officer, this applies to you more so than the attorneys, but attorneys are going to show you something that applies to you as well. Okay. But you got to remember that you may only get two or three questions out of your witness before they realize, especially if you're questioning an involved party, Right. And eventually they may get the suspicion that they might be in trouble. And if that happens, they're not going to talk to you anymore. So if you have to do that and you have to make your first, second or third questions, your your baller questions, they got to be dynamite because that might be all you get. Right. So if that's the case, Phil, just out of curiosity, what would be one of the first questions you would ask a driver? Were you wearing your seatbelt? Oh God, I was, ah, you're killing me. Yeah, please, please stop making your first question. Were you wearing your (laughs) seatbelt? 
<laughs> please stop. <laughs> right? Because we do, we, we see that where the officers only get one or two questions and they waste one of them on see, that's like asking the genie, I don't know, like some stupid, like throwing away one of your first wishes. I was hoping to have think on the fly of something quick right there, but I didn't, I, I failed you. I dropped the ball. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I was going to be like, uh, like wishing for, uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would like to believe I would wish for three good things. I do. Yeah. yeah but th- you're exactly spot on with, with that. I mean, people are smart and they're already anxious, nervous, what have you, because they know if, if you're the party that's most likely or more likely than not the party at fault in the collision, you already know that mm-hmm. when you start asking 10 questions before you get to the questions that matter, they're already starting to put their fences up because they're starting to think, wait a minute, you're starting to stack all these questions against me and just, you know, trying to bait me into painting myself into a corner yeah. Um, and they'll just shut down, like you said. So you need to you know, start out with, with what what questions you need answered. I don't yeah. care about seatbelt use. If you can't tell that, um, I don't know why you have to ask that question. Right. I was going to say, or like, did you have your lamp, your headlights on? Do a lamp inspection. Yeah, How about you, you actually get, do your job and investigate you something? You get to the scene and all the headlights are on except for the one that's broken out. Right. Why would you ask the question? You have headlights right. on. Yeah, I, yeah. I know. But, you know, but for the attorneys, so same thing. And Phil and I see this all the time. And I, I wouldn't dare tell you guys how to conduct a deposition. Okay. I, I wouldn't. But I, I will tell you this. You can notice a difference. It, you know, it's one thing when you're deposing an expert, you know, or, or another police officer or something like that. But, but when attorneys depose witnesses or involve drivers, you can see driver the moment that either the drivers or the witnesses check out. And if the attorneys take a lot of time wearing them down with just the background, and, and I get it, I get it that you guys are trained and, and taught to, to establish the background and all that stuff. I get that. But man, when you get 75, 80 pages into the transcript and we haven't even touched on the crash yet, I mean, you can, you can see it in, on the transcripts. You can see the driver just check out on their responses and the information they're giving and all that. And I, you know, I think there is a point where setting the stage can go too long. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know and, and you know, the first part of this, you know, kind of sounded like we were picking on first responders and we're not, you know, there's, mm. a, there's a lot of agencies that have um, a lot of officers, great officers that have a process that they do their, their investigations in. And it doesn't matter if it's a crash or it's a theft or it's a, an assault, whatever the case may be. So, I mean, that's fine. You know, it's fine to have your process and whatnot in place. It's just maybe fine tuning your process. Yeah. Um, as people and, are becoming, I, I don't want to say smarter, but people are becoming a little bit more aware of how the game played is game is played, so to speak. So they're becoming more familiar with the rules. Um, it's well, and fun. it's not even that it's, it's also too the attention span. Yeah. I mean, you can only keep, you know, the average human's attention span right now is seven to nine seconds. That's it. That's the most you get out of them. Did you say something? Shut up. <laughs> but no, I mean, and that's just the society we're in, you know, that, that people are, you know, 
uh, stay focused on something for, like you said, a very short period of time, and boom, they're on to something else. So, you know, we, we got to get, I guess, better as a whole um, with fine-tuning our approaches to things. And, and I guess if you only have 10 seconds of someone's undivided attention, get the most out of that 10 seconds. Get, get the most that you can get and don't go after the stuff that you don't necessarily need. If you can otherwise answer that question, yeah, ask a different question. Ask a better question that's going to provide you more uh uh, helpful information. Yeah. So I want everybody here that's listening. All right. If, if, if you're driving, go to your office and then replay this episode. But if you're listening, pull out a piece of paper real quick. And, and I, I want to give you guys a couple of questions that we got to start asking witnesses and attorneys. If you guys are deposing witnesses, these questions are gold. They're gold because it, it really helps us go back. And so think of, you got to almost think back to the movie, my cousin Vinny, right? And, and you think of, you know, when, when uh, um, Joe Pesci puts all the witnesses on the stand, right? And he's got like the, the guy on there, you know, and he's like, what do you call this metal rusty thing caked with dirt? And right, right here, a screen. Yeah, yeah, a screen. Okay. And what do you call all these, all these things here in your front yard that have thousands of leaves on it? Trees. Yeah, trees, you know, and he's just going through it, it to prove the point that the witness couldn't see it, you know, and he's like, you know, by the end. So you mean to tell us that through this muddy screen and these dirty windows and these trees and the bushes and all, you know, that you were able to identify my witnesses, right? So we've got to start thinking in terms of this. So one of the first things that almost never gets asked that we just need to establish is, is number one, where were you when you saw the crash happen? Right. I mean, that's that's one of the big ones. And, and then follow that up with or during the background, ask the witness how tall they are, because does a six foot three person have a different perspective than a four foot eleven person? Yeah, especially if they're standing like say they're standing at a bus stop or standing at a crosswalk with a with a crowd of people waiting for people to pass by a four foot eleven person. What's their vantage point? compared to a six foot three person. Better yet, you get a car that has three occupants in it and all three of them saw it. Somebody was probably sitting in the back. Playing on their phone. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's just that type of stuff. And not necessarily the credibility of the witness, more so the credibility of the information they provided. Yep. But um, you know, and that's it, you know, where, where were they located? Just ask them that, where are you located? Yeah. Were you sitting or standing? Because again, you know, and we get a lot of city crashes where people are like, oh, I was out on my front porch. Okay, great. Were you sitting or standing? That can make a big difference. And when your investigator goes out to follow up on this stuff, they need to be looking at, okay, is it even possible? You have the person sitting or were there bushes in the way? We don't know, but we need to, we need to find out, you know, or, you know, what were you doing right now at this day and age of cell phones? I think that's an important question. At the time of the crash, what were you doing? Do you have your cell phone in your hand? You know, I mean, we need to know these things, um, you know, and I still I still think another you know, good question is, is, did you see it? Did you hear it? Yeah. yeah. There's a difference. Yeah. You'd be surprised how many people say, you know, will only hear it. But the friend tells them everything they didn't see. And now they put that information with what they heard, build that 
story in their mind and that's what they put on paper. Yeah. And if they say, especially, Oh my goodness. If, if normal lay witnesses say that, the, that they saw the person speeding, ask them based on what, just get, ask them that just follow up. And it doesn't have to be like intimidating. Like just, just, Hey, cool. No problem. I appreciate that based on what, because like, especially, and we've talked about this before, before on motorcycle crashes, people will always overestimate the speed of a motorcycle because of the sound of the engine and the exhaust. Yep. Happens. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not to say that witnesses aren't valuable because they can be, but they are definitely not your best source. Most generally. Yeah. But you know, in, in going into that, and let me just kind of lay this out for you guys too, because I want to clear up some of this stuff too, is, is you have to also not identify what they were doing and where they were at, but what kind of witness are they? And, you know, for the attorneys listening, I would actually categorize your witnesses in your file. And what kind of witness were they? And so there's, there's seven main types of witnesses I want you guys to be aware of that are out there. Okay. You have your honest and cooperative witnesses. All right. Honest and cooperative. You have your silent, know nothing, distrust, distrustful witnesses. Your reluctant, suspicious witnesses. Your bashful or timid witnesses. Hostile and deceitful. Talkative and boastful. And you're under the influence. Right. I mean, those are the seven types. And I don't know about you guys, but, you know, for me, I actually honestly, I actually kind of like the under the influence witnesses. I do not the people that have passed out and peed themselves like those. Those aren't the people not like not Phil. <laughs> but uh, Jerk. Listen, after training last week, nobody can blame you. Nobody can blame you. Hmm. <laughs> it, um, but no, you know, it's it's that whole thing of, of, you know, think about it. If somebody just has one or two drinks. Right. I mean, typically, what does that do to your inhibitions? You're kind of willing to talk. It opens you up. It loosens you up a little bit. But, you know, and, but I see a lot of reluctance. You know, the people are like, oh, well, they've had one or two drinks. That's OK. As long as they are coherent and, you know, they're not slurring their words, they're not falling over like they are functioning. That's OK. Totally fine. Right. You know, I mean, Granny from Beverly Hillbillies used to always say moonshine don't tell no lies. True story. You know, something else, too, um, I just got to think about when you're rambling on there. Um, <laughs> I like it, it's going to be dependent upon your scenario, your, your situation, you have your crash, whatever. Ask your witnesses if they know any of the parties involved. Yeah, you got to establish that motive mm-hmm. of why they're willing to help. Especially, yeah, because I've run into that just a handful of times where people were just Man, they had all, they were just tons of information and, and so adamant that they were the only best and only witness and so on and so forth. And then in a follow up phone call, come to find out they were related to the at fault. Yep. Yeah, 100 percent. You know, and that and that can be, you know, your honest and cooperative witnesses, people that are just telling you the truth. They're being cooperative. Yeah. Establish why they're being honest and cooperative. Is it because they know the guy or right. girl? We're you know, grind. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yo, or yeah, it's exactly it. You know, as a, a neighbor, and they're like, oh, they're so sick of this kid flying up and down their street. You know what I mean? And and now all of a sudden they're like, oh, I'll give you a statement on him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yeah. uh, you, you know exactly. But you gotta, you have to establish that of of why they're so willing to to be helpful. Yeah. Um, but you know, you're, you're reluctant and suspicious and you're silent, no nothing witnesses. I always tell officers, if somebody's like, listen, I didn't see anything, I don't want to be involved. That's fine. 
I didn't see anything. I don't know anything. Get a statement of that. Because if nothing else, that prevents them from coming back later and being like, oh, yeah, I saw everything that happened. So if they want to say they didn't see anything and they don't know anything that happened, okay, no worries. Here, here Here's my statement form. Can you just write that down for me, sir? Sure. Just get it. It's okay. Doesn't hurt. You know, be careful of, be careful of your talkative and boastful witnesses. I think these are the most dangerous witnesses out there, personally. Mm-hmm. And these are, you can think of, and we're not going to name them, but you all know, especially police officers, you know exactly who we're talking about. These are the people that not only are willing to give you information, but they enjoy giving you information. And they, like, they want to be a part of the action. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the ones that, if your cruiser's sitting out there and you flip those overheads on, or even not, they just, they just see your cruiser sitting out there. They come running out, running up to your window. Officer, officer, officer. Right. And they come running up to you and they want to talk about everything, their whole life story, everything that they were going to do to become a cop, how they've always wanted to be a cop, all this stuff. Right. And they just want to be a part of your life. So just be aware of that. And, and for the attorneys, same thing. When you guys see these witness statements uh, that are given to police, you, you got to understand one, you know, it, it may be that person that just wants to, to get in on the action that, that's trying to impress the officer. But be aware that there are people out there, both men and female, that are highly attracted to a man or woman in uniform. You know, and those witnesses typically will tell that officer anything that they want to hear just to try and impress them. Phil, you wouldn't know what that's like, but there are people out there like that. <laughs> You're just so ugly that <laughs> just, <laughs> you got that face only a mother could love. Hi, mom. You're like, you're like scout. <laughs> that's, that's Phil's dog, if you guys didn't know. So, you know, but yeah, you just, you got to be aware of that, that there are people out there that will mislead an officer or will embellish and lie. And so, when you guys read these witness statements that were taken at the scene of the crash, just keep that in the back of your mind, especially when you pull in witnesses and you're interviewing them later on is you got to establish, why were you so willing to help? Yeah. And I say there's, there's some people that are legitimately just trying to do the right thing, but that should jump out to the, the guys, you know, the men and women that are on the scene that should jump out to them. Who's the true independent witness, true witness. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, and the other thing too, is I would say, why, why don't we interview passengers in cars? I think there's the expectation that the passengers, occupants, what have you, in, in a car that was involved in a collision is most likely going to write a statement that supports their driver. So is it right? Is it wrong? I don't know. But don't you also, I mean, I typically, of, don't we have enough information to either prove or disprove some of the statements to, to kind of check if the, if the occupant would be honest or not? 
Eh, I would think so. I don't know. Like I said, I mean, it's just that kind of, it's like a 50, 50 split. I see some officers that love to interview the occupants and I see others that don't. And I see both sides. I do. Yeah. You know, that's just an interesting conversation to have. I, I don't know, but you know, just like I said, just be, be weary of when you, when you get out there, especially attorneys and, and guys, when you're following up on these, you know, if you're conducting an interview that's months down the road, or, you know, for the attorneys could be years down the road, but be aware. So is, is your memory better now than it was back then at the crash or is your memory starting to fade? I would think it's starting to fade unless it was something that traumatized you so badly that it's keeping you up at night. Yeah. And like I said, with that, with that memory being a reconstructive process, uh, that that's my biggest fear is that you know the longer you go the longer your brain has to fill in those gaps and, and you ever get like that where you're just thinking about something and you're like gosh I, for the life of me i can't remember this small part and then you sit there and you really think about it and your brain's like oh yeah here you go uh, you know what i mean and so if you're doing that about an incident that you witnessed man by the time you give that statement it might be all sorts of jacked up yeah yeah could be so, you know, but at the same time, your drivers of your car, how reliable are their witness statements if you go interview them at the hospital and they had head trauma? Well, I always, I always expect drivers to be a little reluctant to begin with because they oftentimes always suspect your interest in that interview is to find something to point them as being the uh, party at fault. So... They're not going to very rarely have I run into an occurrence where someone was completely forthcoming with the, yep, I did it. I own it. It's all me, blah, 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 blah. Most times there's, you have to dig and pry and dig and pry to get it. Um, so I always think there's a little bit of apprehension. Yeah. Part of yeah. You know, and so, and the other thing too, I would say, and, and especially for the attorneys, just FYI, Take some of the police statements that you guys get. And, and most attorneys I know are really good about doing follow-up interviews and depots of witnesses and stuff like that. But you, sometimes you got to take the police statements with a grain of salt because um, every driver wants to make the crash not their fault. Even the people who are not at fault want to make it even more not their fault. You know what I mean? And so like, you'll see somebody who did not like, they're just driving down the road and somebody runs a stop sign and T-bones them, you know? And then like, when we get it there and we interview them, they're like, well, I was driving down the road with my hands at 10 and two on the wheel and my radio was off and I was five miles an hour under the posted speed limit in absolutely no hurry. When all of a sudden (laughs) out of nowhere, right. Right. So keep that in mind that the drivers, even though they know it's not their fault, typically want to make it even more not their fault. Right. So, you know, you do get that in the witness statement. So just keep that in mind. Um, And to circle back, Phil, to something you brought up at the beginning. The other thing, too, that we've been noticing, and I don't get it. I would actually love to hear from an attorney on why you got like why some do this. But I would think during a depot, why, why in the world are we starting to see all of the witnesses or witnesses and drivers or both of the drivers or like all of the involved parties being in the same room when a deposition is being conducted? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, maybe there is a reason to it. I, 
I haven't, I, for the life of me, just thinking back to conducting interviews and stuff, I just, I don't know. I, I don't see the practicality of that. I would think it would be better to separate them. Yeah. I'm sure but, it's a I'm sure it's a strategy. Yeah. I'm just curious to I, like, I'm curious to know what it is. So that's, I would be, I would be super curious and I get it with like experts. Like I, I can, I understand that one of opposing experts being in, in the room. Like if you're deposing in another expert and you have yours in the room, I get that completely, but just like independent witnesses that one, I, I don't, I don't know. I would just, I would, I'm just curious. So if you guys do that, if you're an attorney listening to the show and you do that, you allow multiple witnesses or both drivers to be in the room when the other people are given their depot, um, reach out. I would love to hear it. Like, honestly, I would, I really do. I, I would love to know what the strategy is behind it. Um, maybe change my way of thinking on the way I approach doing witness interviews. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I would think you're, you're possibly giving them the crayon to finish coloring the, the picture in the coloring book that they may not have. Yeah. And that, and that may be part of it. That may be part of the strategy. This person remembers 98% of what happened that day. And by hearing the testimony of other witnesses, it fills in the other 2%. But my thing is, is that true recollection of the events as they saw, heard, smelled, whatever that day? Or is that um, just tainted information that was implanted into them for them to start stirring in and mixing in with the other memories? And Yep. 100%. Is, it reality, is it reality or is it virtual reality? Yeah, VR. Boop, boop. All right. So, Phil, let's wrap this one up for him and, and give them, if you had one thing to leave everybody off when it comes to interviewing witnesses or reading these interviewing uh, or reading witness statements, what would it be? What's your nugget of wisdom? Cause I feel like it's been a while since you've given us one. I know you don't have many, so I didn't want to deplete your, your treasure drove. I hate you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think from a, from a first responder stance, go after the most relevant information. Um, probably rank your, your witnesses on a, on a scale, you know, number one witness down to however many, if you got five, rank them one to five, go to your first witness first, your number one witness. Um, and if you follow up, you know, you're, there's going to be questions that don't get answered at the scene. There's time later. You don't have to rush to judgment. Um, follow up with your witnesses. And, and you may, by following up and talking to them later on, you very well may uh, rule out one, two, or three of your of your potential witnesses because their information is just wishy-washy or doesn't validate. Yep. Yeah. Here you go. My, my nugget of wisdom. Write this down. Actually, I think I should make this a sign uh, for inside my house here for my wife. But my nugget of wisdom, honestly, would be... Mm, no, let's see. You know what? No, no, no. I do like this one. Yeah, I like it the best. So I think I'm going to go with this one. In vino veritas. It's an old Latin saying, meaning in wine, truth. And uh, you know what? It's, it's, it is. It's it's know what types of witnesses you have, categorize them, and know what the strengths and weakness, weaknesses of each type of witness is. And that will help you understand their statements just a little bit better. And you touched on it, and I'm going to finish up with it. Ah, dang it. Truth. There is the truth. There's the witness's version of the truth. And then there is their truth. Which truth do you have? 
Oh man, that's deep. Well, that's going to wrap it up for the day, guys. As always, if you have a case that you want us to review for free or you just want to connect with us, jump on over to CrashTechReconstruction.com. Also, remember to follow us on Facebook at Crash Tech, the Expert Angle Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our show and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Crash Tech Reconstruction Services. And finally, remember to always leave your accident victims better off than you found them because at the end of the day, everything we do is for that.